Well, there was certainly a risk-on mood on Friday, but you'd have to wonder why, wouldn't you? The Fed is going to probably lift rates sooner than expected. The Bank of England is heading quickly down that road too. Wages are rising, fuel prices are climbing, supply chains remain under stress, China's growth is slowing, but equity markets are behaving like the good times are here. Please explain. It's Monday, the 18th of October, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, currency markets were fairly quiet on Friday. The US dollar was up half a percent of the Japanese yen, but that was offset by a 0.6% rise in the pound. Everything else was pretty quiet. The Aussie was up ever so slightly to 74.2 US cents. There's more action in bonds with prices down. Yields are up six basis points added to 10-year treasury yields. The same with 10-year gilts. Aussie 10 years are up uh, just two to 1.65% now. And shares on the rise. <laughs> What's going to stop them? Over 1% for the Dow, three quarters of 1% for the S&P 500 and half percent for the Nasdaq in Europe. The Eurostoxx 50 was up 0.8%. The same for the FTSE 100. And at home, the ASX 200 was up 0.7%. Whilst oil continues to climb, Brent now so close to $85 a barrel, rising 1% on Friday, 1.2% for WTI. That's up over $82, hitting a seven-year high. Uh, so, uh, you know, looking at those numbers, except for oil prices, everything looks hunky-dory, doesn't it? Pretty much risk on. That must mean confidence. Surely. Well, Tapas Strickland is here this morning from NAB in Sydney. I, do you know what? I feel like we've been here before Tapas. Uh, the, you know, there's some confidence in the markets and then the markets turn. And surely that turning point is going to be uh, all these inflation concerns backfiring, but also energy prices. I mean, what happens if we get to $100 oil? Hey, good morning, Phil. Uh, yes, it was kind of exuberant night on Friday and really driven by two factors. So one, you got a very strong US retail sales number, uh, uh, whereas the expectation was actually expecting a slight negative outcome there. And so that helped assuage concerns that um, the dip in consumer sentiment that we had seen was going to feed through uh, to the broader US economy there. And then the second one is we've had some pretty stellar bank earnings out of the Q3 profit reporting season. And when I look at the, I think there's been 40 names that are reported so far, around 80% of those have all topped Expectations, So it has been a very strong profit reporting season again so far. So for equity markets at, at the moment, they're quite exuberant on on the back of that. But as you noted, um, there are some some headwinds out there that suggest there should be a little bit of caution within the wind. And um, when I look at um, the stuff that's coming up this week, I just wanted to point out to three things that I think um, could play into that view. And the first one is Fed rate, rate hike expectations have been brought forward. So there's now a 50% chance of a 25 basis point from the US Federal Reserve uh, by June 2022, and a full hike is priced by September 2022. And when you look at the US yield curve, a really interesting twist flattening is happening where the twos, tens curve is steepening on rate hike expectations, but the fives, thirties curve is actually flattening. And I think that is an interesting dynamic to to, to watch. And of course, what's driving a lot of those yield moves is... um, expectations of the Fed hiking and also fears around inflation. So when you look at inflation break-evens in the US, the five-year inflation break-even is now at its highest since April 2005. Uh, And the second one is it looks like central banks are going to respond to the rise in energy prices. And you noted uh, Brent oil prices were up around 1% on Friday and currently sitting around 85 US dollars a barrel. Uh, The Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey uh, said 
While central banks don't have the tools to counter supply disruptions, officials do need to act to prevent high inflation expectations from becoming more entrenched. Uh, And I think that's the story that has been pervading pretty much since when the Bank of England met back in October, that uh, central banks may start to react to to the more persistent supply chain disruptions and the increase in energy prices is is the cream on the cake on that and the final thing is just in regards to china so we obviously get chinese gdp and activity figures this week but also two other events occurring on tuesday the uh standing committee which is china's top uh, legislative com- committee uh, is going to be meeting for five days and they're going to be looking at new bills and so people are wondering is there going to be more to the regulatory crackdown that we have seen in China today, which appears to be slowing the economy somewhat. And the uh, other bit in China is um, the Evergrande grace period on uh, those debt interest payments uh, come to an end this weekend. Wow. Um, so obviously, yeah. Evergrande could go into technical default as well. So there are some things out there that suggest maybe, um, aside from a really good earnings season, uh, that we should be looking out for as well. So explain this to me, because uh, all about raising interest rates right now, because I mean, you know, and I've suggested, you know, just from a layman's point of view, it doesn't seem like a good time now to be taking money out of people's pockets. But this is all about containing expectations, isn't it? Inflation expectations. So I guess the argument is that bosses won't agree to pay rises. Is this the thinking? Because they think their costs are going to go up, so they can't afford to do that. But uh, is that the idea behind it? So com- companies aware of increasing costs are going to try and uh, stop pushing prices up. And one thing they can do is try and control labour, which sounds fine in a tight labour market. But you look at UK, there's 1.1 million job vacancies. You look at the United States and we saw those very high quit rates. And they're calling it, uh, uh, I mean, there's masses of uh, strikes happening now in the United States as well. They're calling it Striketober because John Deere, the tractor makers and, uh, and Kellogg's are having uh, demands placed on them for higher wages and people going on strike because of it. So, uh, it lo- you know, it looks like the uh, the shoe is very much in the in the feet of uh, of those people demanding wage hikes rather than employers. So they're, they're not going to be in a position to try and contain uh, rising prices, are they? Yeah, so it does look like uh, that the rise in trends through inflation that we have seen over the past year is starting to feed through to those inflation expectations and then on to wage demands. Mm. And uh, if they get floated into wage demands, then uh, that rise in trends through inflation is at risk of becoming a more permanent feature. And what could central banks there. do about that? If they, if so they, the one, so so the one thing central banks can do is raise raise rates, uh, and that's put and and that puts downward pressure on aggregate demand, um, and so that should help alleviate um, some of those uh, pressures there. So basically, you're just putting a hammer on aggregate demand. But it's not, not demand, it's, it's, it's supply, not demand, that's the issue. Yeah, it's the, it's yeah a, exactly. Uh, and then just <laughs> highlighting those kind of inflation fears out there in the US, uh, US consumer sentiment uh, failed, failed to bounce, and if you remember, the index fell quite sharply back in August, and the rise in energy prices obviously can have a number of different effects, and one of them is uh, it can lead to consumers actually starting to worry about those price rises and potentially putting off purchases. And while we got a pretty stellar uh, US uh, retail sales figure, mm. um, that 10-point drop in the Consumer Sentiment Index back in August has seen some economists uh, warn that the US potentially could be heading for a recession if you don't get a recovery in consumer sentiment in the well, following months. Yeah, um, and that's, and that's and being driven that- by supply chains, oil prices, but also, I mean, reading over the weekend, a lot of concern as well. Uh, this is in the Michigan survey about uh, government economic policies as well. So the, the fiscal cliff, the fact that, you know, the infrastructure bill has had all these deliberations, all that's playing into that consumer sentiment as well. 
Uh, indeed, and when you look at uh, the people's confidence in government's economic policies in the US, it's, it's the lowest since September 2014. So people aren't all that mm. confident in what the government is doing, and uh, inflation fears are also the highest, at least for the one year since August 2008. Right. So uh, Friday's episode of the podcast was called, uh, what was it, it uh, have inflation expectations uh, concerns peaked? The answer is no, isn't it? I mean, you know, they, they, they seem to be rising. So the Michigan inflation expectation number on Friday came in 4.8% up from 4.6%. I mean, are they going to keep on rising, do you think? I think it will be very much tied to what happens with uh, oil prices. So when you look at the commentary within the oil market, there's a lot of speculative demand entering the market at, that, at the moment. So that always has the potential to drag up at least the sh- short-term contracts there. So we're probably not past the peak yet. Um, and when you and I think the profit reporting season will also be quite crucial to watch this week. We get a lot of industrial and materials names reporting, including Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson. So it'll be interesting to see how they're coping in the face well, of it would be very surprised if, if they had a bullish forecast that would be very surprising wouldn't it? i mean exactly. that would have a, a, a lot of confidence but i don't think it's going to happen well the key thing will be is how much are they passing on the, the, those, those high prices and then, mm. then we get and then when we get the retailers reporting the following week the key question will be to what extent are they also passing on those high costs to the end consumer so we've got on the one so, so it's interesting the fed is basically i mean it's it's looking like if they're going for uh, middle of next year for a rate hike basically they're tapering until that point and then pushing rates up straight away the bank of england could actually be uh, lifting rates while uh, still a QE program in place, although they're, they're sort of hinting now, aren't they, that they're not going to uh, renew. So as uh, as bonds reach maturation, um, then they're not going to renew those bonds. So they'll sort of, which is in effect tapering, I guess, isn't it? It's, same effect, just a slightly different schedule between the two banks. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I guess the key thing from both the Bank of England and the US Fed is uh, just an acknowledgement that inflation risks are towards the upside and that's seeing markets and officials um, saying they may hike rates earlier. But it's still a very different approach coming out of Europe, isn't it? So we had Christine Lagarde at the uh, IMF over the weekend saying inflation is transitory still, even though the IMF has issued a statement that it appears less transitory. And she said the ECB is committed to preserving favourable financing conditions for all sectors of the economy over the pandemic period and they'll provide forward guidance on rates and purchases once the pandemic emergency comes to an end, which she clearly thinks is not just yet. Yeah, so there is a definitely, while the US Fed and the BOE look like they're going to be hiking rates in response to the supply chain disruptions and other factors, uh, the ECB, the Bank of Japan and the RBA probably stand out as the three central banks that mm. are within that transfer camp and aren't necessarily reacting to what we're seeing globally. And and I think markets will be pricing in the chance of at least the RBA and to some extent the European Central Bank uh, raising rates earlier than what their respective or, leaders or, are saying. Or, the, or it turns the other way and the, the, the others go, well, yeah. I mean, exactly. it's a, it's a, to place your bets now because one, one bunch has got to be right, the other one's got to be wrong, surely. Yes, and I guess if you look at the experience of, of Japan, um, they've had um, very little inflation for a very uh, sustained period. Uh, and part of that reason um, many people attribute is due to uh, demographics and the demographics in Europe are also not yeah. that favourable. Right, yeah, well, that may be part of it too. Absolutely, yeah. The fact that there's not enough kids being born there. So, look, uh, Freedom Day on Friday, hopefully, sort of, for Victoria. I hate that expression, by the way. I'll never use it again. Uh, but uh, Melbourne, the most locked-down city in the world... 
uh, might be opening up a little bit on Friday. It's still going to be loads of restrictions there. I mean, retail's still closed, isn't it? But you'll be able to go out to a restaurant. But again, you know, there's going to be numbers limiting it. So it's slow going. Um, but uh, will that boost confidence much? Will there be uh, any market implications as we sort of move slowly forwards in Australia? I think you have seen the Australian dollar become a little bit more favourable as uh, New South Wales started to reopen or at least uh, unveil its reopening plans. And with Victoria looking like it's going to do its first stage of reopening on Friday, that will see all states and territories in Australia reopen now. And so that should help facilitate that recovery in economic activity in Q4 and into next year as well. Uh, But I think the more important thing, especially from a domestic point of view in Australia, is that international border. And there has been talk about a number of uh, industries experiencing labour shortages and starting to see a little bit of a bid up for wages because of that. And uh, it was just worth noting on Friday that the New South Wales Premier uh, said he was going to lift quarantine requirements for the fully vaccinated travellers and lift incoming traveller caps from November 1. Uh, at the moment, that only extends to Australian residents and citizens and their families. But I think it's the first stage that we have seen of international border restrictions easing in Australia. And it also means that perhaps the recovery in, in migration is going to be a little bit uh, earlier and a little bit stronger than we had expected before. Right, but there's no guarantees on that just yet, is there? I mean, Scott Morrison was saying yes for the beginning of November. I know that the MyGov website from, from tomorrow, you'll be able to get vaccine certificates for international travel. But that's for Australians going overseas then coming back again. It's not for bringing in migrant workers. I mean, that could be a way off just yet. Uh, exactly. But under the uh, under the government's budget forecast, you don't get back to migration levels of pre-pandemic until 2024, 25. Mm. And I think these kind of moves suggest that you get you may get back there um, earlier than no. that. Right. Okay. Now, look, lots of Chinese data today. Obviously, you, you talked about the uh, the fallout from Evergrande. That remains uh, and the impact on real estate markets. And the direction of all those numbers out of China today, well, except retail sales might pick up. But, you know, hey, look at how much growth has slowed since March. But GDP, industrial production, fixed asset investment, the expectation is that all those numbers is going to be, are going to be down, aren't they? Uh, yes, and really down due to three factors. And the first one is the zero COVID policy in China. And you did see quite a number of different lockdowns in Q3 there. Uh, you've also had that regulatory crackdown occurring as well. And a little bit unknown exactly how it was going to spill over to the real economy. But at least the PMIs uh, and the monthly activity indicators suggest there has been a bit of a spillover. And the third one is um, just the Chinese property sector in general. It does look like it's weakening and it looks like another property developer today is also going to miss payments on a US dollar bond as well. Now property was obviously part of the reason why the RBNZ wanted to go sooner rather than later. We get the CPI numbers for New Zealand today for Q3. If those are high could that encourage the RBNZ to, to move even faster with rate rises? I think the RBNZ is looking to move fairly fast already there but it will definitely add anyway, to that kind yeah. of uh, narrative that the RBNZ does, does need to move and in Australia, we'll also be looking quite closely at the New Zealand CPI for any parallels uh, towards our CPI, just given that we do have firms that operate on both sides. Right. Also, US industrial production and the NHB housing data overnight as well from the US. But uh, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you again next time. Oh, great. Thanks, Phil. Uh, that's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then. <laughs> 